Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. So, hi, Amy. So excited to be able to interview you for this podcast. Uh, But before I do this, I just want to introduce Amy. First of all, Amy is a very dear friend of mine, and she's also a business partner. And I cannot wait for you to get to know Amy like I know Amy. But first, I want to read her bio. And I don't want you to be too intimidated because even though her bio looks incredible. I honestly, Amy, when I looked at it and I saw the education that you have, I went onto your website, um, Amy, um, and what, let me spell your last name for everybody right now. So we don't forget. <laughs> it's it's long. Yes. It's uh, V-A-N-S-L-A-M-B-R-O-O-K. Now you know why I had her spell it. So amyvanslambrook.com. You have to go to it. Uh, But before I read that, um, I want to share with you her education. She is a University of Michigan, woohoo, fellow Michigander, college, woohoo, Florida Gulf Coast University, uh, MA in clinical mental health counseling, licensed clinical mental health counselor, state of Florida licensed, certified elite life coach, certified workplace coach, certified domestic violence advocate and counselor for adults, children's families, the Naples shelter, trained domestic violence counselor and researcher, children and families, University of Michigan. And her memberships are American Association of Christian Counselors and National Association of Professional Women. So you can see that she comes well-versed in what she's gonna give us this information today, but um, I wanna read her bio. It's Amy is a fearless leader who comes alongside her clients to help them conquer whatever is standing in the way of life they envision. She believes everyone has limitless God-given potential if they take time to unleash their soul. There is no more valuable journey, and she considers it a privilege to be part of so many people's lives in this way. She's a passionate and compassionate licensed psychotherapist, certified life and workplace coach, experienced consultant, writer, and growing entrepreneur whose calling is to help others, especially women, heal and gain the power from their past. Before she was blessed to be able to live her calling full time, she too had a lot of past to overcome through the best training ground available that of her own journey and healing from real life struggles through woundedness and trauma so many of us face and through a lot of life. Yet, Amy believes the reason for it all continues to be to help others free themselves and gain power from everything along their journey. Every step of her journey, whether painful or joyful, is worth it because it helps her to serve others with God's grace. In addition to a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, she has specialized experience and training in addressing the emotional health of women, relationships, and recovering from trauma. Trained by some of the foremost experts in the field, prior to being in full-time private practice, she enjoyed a 20-year corporate healthcare finance career, which continues to guide her work as an effective therapist, coach, and therapist. 
Together, she believes everyone can grab a hold of the treasures within their past so that they can embrace the full life they were intended to live without limits. Wow, Amy. So I know you, um, but in this way, like just seeing you today and, and I hope people can see your beautiful face because I feel like you're like a living Mother Teresa. And it's just everything about you, the compassion that you have towards people. And, and you and I get to lead online masterminds together, which is incredible. We'll talk about those later on the call here today. But what in the world is a psychotherapist? I bet people are sitting here thinking, okay, I've heard of a psychiatrist, a psychologist, but what's a psychotherapist? <laughs> well, a psychotherapist is basically a, a long-term for somebody who's a licensed and professional counselor. So it sounds, you know, a lot more scientific and, and there's a, certainly a lot of science to it, but really, um, we're just blessed to be there for people who are in clinical, clinical level um, mental health situations and also to provide diagnosis. We can't prescribe. Um, only psychiatrists can do that in the state of Florida. Um, but we are at a level where we can diagnose and really provide that guidance to people, which is a wonderful gift. Um, far from Mother Teresa's status, and I can give you <laughs> lots of evidence to to uh, explain that but thank you tina that that's humbling coming from somebody of your caliber you're just you're oh, one of my heroes well i look at you and i think you know i'm a life coach and a business coach but sometimes i wish i was a psychotherapist because i deal with so many um issues with people that i wish i had your education that you have and so i honestly believe that every business owner needs to have a psychotherapist in their pocket so that we can refer people to you because I believe in my people so much. And I didn't realize till I met you, Amy, that it really, uh, you cannot become who you're supposed to become via my B series, Untold Stories of Leadership Transformation, unless you first and foremost deal with past trauma in your lives. And I, I truly believe that the only way to be a leader is to be transformed. And I work with my team all of the time. And I think I was working with someone today, Amy, and I thought, wow, uh, we've got to transform this woman because she's really callous and hard. And, and I thought, wow, I used to be like that. I used to be callous and hard. So how can I help her through that transformation? How can I help her dig a little deeper to see where she's at? But I know that the or in order for you to transform others, you were transformed and you've been through some, some amazing things in your life. And I believe that our greatest adversity leads to our greatest assignment. And that certainly has happened for you. Is that why you got to become a psychotherapist? Absolutely. Absolutely. There has been no greater training ground, honestly, Tina. And so you, you are a therapist of sorts. And if people gravitate towards you, it's because that's one of your natural giftings. And so for me, that journey, every step of the way has been worth it. I wouldn't change a thing because it's allowed me to really speak into people's lives from a place of knowing and having gone through it. Um, and that involves getting years of therapy for me that happens on and off. And I believe it's just part of 
um, maintaining our soul, especially when we have gone through a lot of trauma ourselves. So you yourself, you're a therapist, but yet you have a therapist too. I do. I, love I do. That. And every coach <laughs> needs a coach, right? Every business coach, even though you're coaching, you still need to be coached because we're exactly. human beings. We're not human doing. So this is why exactly why I've done the podcast, Amy. Let's let's talk about you. Uh, I know you've been through some amazing things. Can you share with us? What are you willing to share with us? Because I know you've had a lot of childhood trauma. Share with us because I believe your story is going to help so many people that are on this call today that either went through this and buried it and haven't talked about it and or going through this right now. Yeah. And I just want to say to those people who haven't been ready to share, who aren't in a position um, where it feels safe to share or where it feels like it might be too much, honoring the timing of that is so wonderful. It's not that pain should ever be hidden, but there is a time and a place where we're in a position to really heal. And your heart knows that if you feel an inkling that this might be the time for you to, to reach out to a mental health professional, even reach out to somebody in your church or in your organization who might be able to connect you to someone um, because that's your heart leading you. And one of the, the worst parts of trauma is that it takes away your voice and it took away my voice for years. Um, and it took me decades to be ready to go through um, therapy for a lot of my trauma. And I didn't even connect fully to the emotions and all of the impact that it had um, for about 25 years after the first um, trauma that I went through. Um, I've been through childhood abuse. It happened outside my home, wasn't with a family member. Um, I've been through um, rape, um, divorce. Um, I've been through serious health challenges. Uh, I've been through an eating disorder, you know, and, and some stalking. And so I say that with a smile on my face only because every one of those things, while they were and can still be tremendously painful, um, I wouldn't change one of them because it's allowed me to help others to heal. And that's really my message to everyone out there, that nothing needs to be wasted and we shouldn't be scared of our past because there's so much power in it. There's so much richness in it. And if we run from it, if we want to shove it away, you're going to miss one of the greatest, greatest treasures of your life. Mm, I love that. And, and, you know, I want to talk about uh, your battle with anorexia. I think that's one of the things that uh, my students and people that I deal with have a challenge with that, not only anorexia, uh, but bulimia and a lot of eating disorders. I, I want to talk about that with you right now. Tell me exactly what that is and, uh, and what you've dealt with your whole life with that. And what has it done to you, Amy? Sure. Well, there are, there are two different levels of anorexia. Um, there's one that's more short-term and, and often happens in the, in the cycle of dieting and or response to significant stressors. Um, and then there's a, a chronic type, and that is more the type that I dealt with. 
um, and that I recovered from um, now going on 19 years ago, you know, and, and it's really a way that, that we take all of the pain that we're in that we can't voice. And so we voice it by food restriction, essentially, um, whether it's binging and purging, whether it's compulsive overeating, whether it's anorexia, it really isn't about whether the weight is too much or not enough. And that's the misunderstanding. Rarely is it about um, ego or looking a certain way, even though the, the way in which one looks is going to motivate you in your eating disorder and it'll feed it. Um, it really isn't about ego. In fact, that is so far from the eating disordered mind, I can't even tell you. You know, you think so little of yourself that in the case of, of anorexia, it's literally wanting to disappear from this earth and be as small as you can. And it takes away your voice little by little by little. When there's been a chronic eating disorder, often it's a, it's a lifelong battle, either from the effects of all this restriction, which is what I'm dealing with. And so I have to have a lot of grace for myself because I understand that, that years of food restriction and not treating my body well are, have led me to a lot of the consequences that I have. But it also is an opportunity with each consequence I find out is to just love myself and understand that um, God loves me and we're going to learn from this together. And I can either be super hard on myself and totally resentful towards the eating disorder, or I can just love myself through it. Mm. I, I want to go back to that, it, you said you were healed of it 19 years ago, Amy. Mm -hmm. um, when did it start? Like, take me through the process, like, as if you were going through it right now. Like, take me through that process, like the feelings and the thoughts that you were going through. How old were you? What was happening? Tell me uh, how people can recognize it as well, too. Um, because I know that some people are listening to this and they may have some family members. And I, I believe that we have, uh, a challenge right now with young women uh, thinking that they need to be really skinny, right, for uh, media purposes as well, too. Talk to me through that process right now. Tell me what you went through. Sure. Well, I have to say it, it never starts out as a choice to get into an eating disorder. You don't say, you know, hey, I want to develop an eating disorder because I hate the way I look. That's That's a rare occurrence. I can't speak for everyone. In my case, um, it had to do with a very subtle beginning of restriction. And that's really where they say onset happens, you know, and for me, that was about five years old. And I started to give away my lunch at school. Mm. So I'd go the whole day without eating. Um, and for the anorexic brain neurochemically, we get as much reward from restriction as someone who overeats gets from overeating. It does the same thing 
to those rewarding chemicals in our brain and it says, this feels good, this feels triumphant, I feel stronger because I don't need food like the rest of the world. You know, it, it's sort of separating ourselves out as superhuman mm -hmm. in the worst possible way. So it started that subtly. Five and then at five. Okay. And, and there is a significant genetic component. So I always say it's sort of like, you know, the genes set are, are the gun and then a trauma can be pulling the trigger. And for me, that involved um, this traumatic incident when I was five years old and I didn't have the words because when trauma happens, the language center gets shut off. So I chose to, to quote unquote, voice my feelings by starting to restrict. Um, it would cycle in and out. And so, for instance, when I was 12, I was very concerned with how much I was taking in. I didn't want to take in too much. And so I really gravitated. If anybody in my family was, was on a diet, I was really interested in it. For anorexia, perfectionism, doing things right, being the absolute best and most ideal at everything is a big, big part of it. And it's, it's not that those things aren't good, but they come from a place of that's the only way I'll be valued and loved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I cycled in and out of it and then got really severe my senior year of high school and I was in an emotionally abusive relationship and I, I really took it to the extreme. You know, I was only eating like frozen yogurt, fat-free, you know, it was in the, it was in the late eighties, um, you know, and everything was frozen yogurt, fat-free. Um, it was that kind of craze. And I just really, really lost myself in it, trying to please him. And he unfortunately liked it. So if anybody's in an abusive relationship or in a relationship where the other person is, could be male or female, because men can certainly get eating disorders as well, where they're overly concerned about your appearance, that's a really huge red flag. You know, that isn't where your affirmation ought to come from. Um, I, I went through my first bout with therapy um, at the end of that relationship and I was able to restore weight. Then I went through college, was married, divorced very young. And as I was going through the stress of the process of divorce, I started to restrict again. And it's very subtle. You know, it's, it's, not usually real extreme, it's a little less and a little less being taken away, a little more exercise, a little more restriction. And again, it, it's sort of a high for the person and they don't have words. So the way to combat it is use our words, voice our feelings, give a person an opportunity to talk through what it is that's going on inside of them. And it may take a while for them to find the words, but they need to voice it. Then I um, got into my worst situation um, in the year 2000. 
and was trying to just take a few pounds off after the holidays um, and tried over-the-counter natural metabolism enhancers um, and they were highly addictive and in about six months I lost 40 pounds and I was um, about 70 pounds at my lowest Wow! and I was just numb I was just numb and wouldn't listen to anyone who was voicing opposition. I just said, you know, I, I feel great. And I thought I did. And I looked like death. And it really is only by God's grace that I'm here today. He literally picked me up. I mean, when I was that late, I couldn't even pick myself up. And I was so lost and hated myself so much and had no idea how to reconcile my past. Wow. So here you were at five years old and you were physically and sexually abused. Yeah. And so the lowest you ever got was 70 pounds. Was mm -hmm. that your transformational moment? Was, was that the moment when you said this has to stop? Like I need to get help. Like what was, what was the transfer? Because it, it sounds to me, Amy, that all those years were leading up to that moment, right? And uh, that was after college. And so that was your transformational moment that said, okay, I've got to do something. Like walk me through that moment. There had to be a moment that you had. Well, and there was. And I, I had been divorced. I was, um, you know, in my mid twenties at that point. Um, but I really, I stood on the scale at 5.30 one morning. Um, I, I wasn't somebody who weighed very often, but I did that morning and I realized that I weighed what I did when I was nine. And I don't know how my memory remembered that, but I, I knew I had to choose life or death. And somehow God chose life for me even though I was really, really distant from God at that point, um, he really picked me up and I got off the scale and I decided I needed to do whatever it was um, to, to live again, you know, to eat again. And so the first step was to detox from these metabolism enhancers that they insisted were fine and normal. But I, I went through physical um, withdrawal by myself, you know, and um, that moment at 5.30 that morning, though, it was dark, I was going to exercise, um, and I was basically living on Diet Coke and Tic Tacs, you know, and a little bit of food, um, but that moment just totally changed my life, um, and I know that, that that was God because there's no other explanation. I probably would have been dead in another three to four weeks at the rate I was losing. So you were by yourself. There was no person with you. And yeah. so how did you know it was God? Like, did you know God before this? Like, is this something that just happened? How'd you know it was him? Well, I, I did know God before then and had a long and very deep relationship with him. I accepted Christ at nine and my dad was, is a pastor. So I was a pastor's kid 
And God was just the biggest part of my life. And then when I went through my divorce, I questioned everything. There wasn't any part of my foundation that it didn't make me question. And so isolation is a huge part of eating disorders, huge. And so giving that person that community is so important. Connecting with them, even though they're difficult and moody at times is important. And I had isolated myself. I pushed everybody away. Um, I was fine. I didn't think I needed anything. You restrict your whole life. And so I knew enough and I had God intervene in my life enough to, to know that, to know that that was the Holy Spirit. Wow. And then when did you go to college to become a psychotherapist? Did this happen like during when you're going through this? Crises? No, actually, I took about. Um, what was what was that defining moment for you that you said, "Okay, I've been transformed. I, I've been healed of this. Um, now I'm going to go and help people." But do you help people through anorexia? Do people come to you? Um, I don't specialize in eating disorders, um, but I do a lot of of work in trauma. That's really my specialty. Um, but I have done a lot of work in the past with groups and other things um, with eating disorders. What's amazing, Tina, is I grew up in a household where everything was part of our purpose and it was going to help you help others. So that was like hardwired into me. So literally the day after I was like, I'm going to use this to make a difference for other people. Um, and everybody around me said, you know, that's great, but right now we need to get you better. So it, it <laughs> literally was, was part of my recovery and part of the motivation from recovery. Yeah, I totally understand that. I remember when I uh, first had uh, my precancerous lesion and I wanted to work right away for uh, Bright Pink, but they wouldn't let me. They, they wanted me to heal uh, both physically and emotionally, right, uh, before I could actually help people. And so I think that was like part of your process too. And I'm sure there's still moments, but, but let me ask you this. Let's go back because um, you stated something and I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. So someone with eating disorder, whether it's overeating or undereating, it's, it's a symptom of trying to gain control in your life. Is that correct? So, so both of them are the same? Like walk me through that process. So someone right now that's really struggling with overeating, um, I actually remember there was a time in my life um, and I write about in my book, Be Amazing, that I just, I would binge eat, like literally an entire cake, you know, and now I don't even eat sugar, like I've been completely healed of sugar, you know, which is so ironic for me, because I was like the sugaraholic, <laughs> it's like, wow, thank you, God, because I, I was tired of binge eating like that, and, uh, and when I think back, I can see it was probably uh, a source of having to have control in my life over something uh, maybe uh, some trauma that had happened to me. Um, so walk me through that process so that anyone who's listening right now uh, would know what to do. Well, absolutely. And it's it's wonderful that you're so transparent and so aware of, of how prevalent this problem is because it can be so subtle. Um, and a lot of times 
we don't think of people who compulsively overeat as being in pain necessarily. Maybe they lack discipline or they're lazy or some other term for them. And, and that really is not it. You know, it's feeling like the life around you is so chaotic and you have no power over it, but boy, you have power over what you put in your body or what you don't put in your body. Mm. And you're wanting to soothe that pain. And as I said, if you have the, the genes of someone with anorexia, the way you get soothing is starvation. It gives you that pleasurable sense. It gives you that peace you can exhale. For a person with compulsive overeating, they get the same neurochemical flood mm. when they ingest a lot of food, especially sugar. Because for years, I was the same way. I loved sugar. You know, it was fat-free, right? Yeah. That was in a lot of cases, not in every case, but that was the message that I think we got in the, in the 80s, certainly in early 90s. Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. David Perlmutter, Dr. Mark Hyman, um, Dr. Josh Axe, all of those people are real proponents of the toxicity of sugar, and Tana Amen as well, um, Dr. Amen's wife. You know, it causes inflammation in the brain and it causes a, a stimulant um, type of reaction that, that really um, makes the brain go on overdrive for a while. It inflames everything um, and then it withdraws very quickly. And so then our brains want more. We want more of the dopamine hit. And so we're going to go, keep going back for the sugar. And with each thing, it inflames the brain, you know, and now it's in so many things in really subtle ways that you never, ever guess. Like lunch meat, lots of it has sugar in it because the food scientists who are then trying to market it to all of us know that it's called what the bliss point. Um, where we have the right balance of sugary and salty. And so it adds that and it makes us eat and consume and buy more. Wow. So that's, that's the quick explanation. Yeah. I know that went off on a tangent, but I think this is part of what we're talking about really because it's this control mechanism that we have that's maybe uh, covering up trauma. Walk me through um, what you do to coach people. So someone listening to this right now that maybe has unspoken trauma. Right, right, exactly. I mean, there's any kind of compulsive behavior, um, whether it's drinking or eating or under eating or binge, um, it, gambling, um, you know, shopping addiction, sexual addiction, you know, any of those things that are in excess. Mm. Um, either too little or too much. So I kind of think of it as the absolute value. Even if it's too much or too little, the pain is still there. You know, and, and a lot of people, I would say almost all people, when you first start to ask them about trauma, using trauma, say, well, what I went through really wasn't that bad. I mean, lots of people have been through worse. And that may be true, but that doesn't mean it isn't trauma. And when they, they did what's called the ACEs study, A-C-E-S, and they looked at the prevalence of trauma in people who deal with 
of obesity. Mm. And the prevalence there is an incredible, incredible tie. So here we have a food industry basically giving them a coping mechanism that's making them ill and further isolated and in further pain. Um, and it's really a crisis in our society, um, both the incidence of abuse and trauma, because trauma can be everything from a divorce to a move to an event like 9-11 to um, domestic violence. You know, there's a whole host of things. And we talk about trauma, um, some with a big T trauma, capital T trauma, and some with a little t. And the big T traumas are really the ones that are going to linger, they're chronic, they're going to be hidden. And the little T traumas are also painful. And if you pile up enough of them, you know, you really have to start to address them. And I think the first thing is, no matter what it is that anybody listening has gone through, it's valid. Your pain is valid. And the lack of words that you might have for it is totally normal because when trauma happens in the brain, it shuts down the language center. So we don't even have words and we're stuck. I don't know if you call it a gift, but there is a sense that I believe the Holy Spirit gave me where I really can, there's a look in people's eyes who have been through trauma. And I can look and, and see in a person's face and see in a person's expression that they've been through trauma. And what's fascinating, because I kind of am a nerd about the science of this, is that they've actually seen that people with elevated um, muscles above their eyes, um, those tend to be raised in people with trauma. And it's sort of this perpetual look of surprise. Oh, wow. No, I, With or without Botox, which one? <laughs> Botox gone wrong. Um, Botox gone wrong. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so talk to the business owner right now that uh, maybe there's some hidden trauma in their staff that they have, like, because I know I'm in the business of changing lives. Like, how do I uncover that, Amy? And what is your recommendation to me as a business owner and the business owners listening to this today? It is such a tender issue that you don't want to open it up if you don't have the professional skills to close it. Right. So I think if you notice somebody who's dealing with mood swings in the office, if they've got excessive aggression, if they're unable to really interact with clients or manage their clientele, you know, or if they really um, seem withdrawn, if there's excessive anxiety or depression that just doesn't seem to be getting better, you know, and they just, um, there's a heaviness about a person who's carrying that load of trauma although lots of people are really great at masking it, you know, it, it's just noticing those subtleties and rather than coming at them with too much directness, it's just saying, you know what? I just want you to know that I'm here mm -hmm. and I see what's happening and I'm concerned about you 
um, not in a condemning way, but just because you want them to get all the attention that they deserve and whatever they're feeling is valid. It isn't up to us to judge or say, well, that isn't all that bad. What are you, what are you complaining about? Mm -hmm. It's to understand for everybody, pain is relative. For them, it's a big pain. You know, I have, uh, well, there's over 16,000 of the Palmetto Future Professionals across the nation, and I have over 300 of them. And I'll tell you, we, we struggle with this with a lot of students with depression. I st struggle with staff with depression, and I don't know what to do about it, right? And, uh, and so short of having a, a guest speaker like you come in, um, what do you recommend as far as like referral? Like what's your professional opinion as far as, because uh, we're not licensed you know, to, to counsel at all, but yet we see them hurting and we see them struggling. But again, we don't know what to do about it. What advice do you give? It's just saying to that person, again, in a private, really safe environment, you know what, I really care about you. And if you ever do want to talk to somebody, here's a name. You know, having a list that you can feel confident in, um, check their credentials and their background, or go through a, an accreditation organization, the American Counselors Association, the American Psychological Association, the American Association of Christian Counselors, all have directories of, of members who are part of their organization who have had to meet a certain criteria to be a part of it. That's, that's an easy way to vet those resources. Let's get rid of that stigma. Help us get rid of the stigma today. Um, I had a uh, really key team member that uh, a friend of uh, his passed away last year and I spoke to him, I said, I really, really would love to see you get therapy, get counseling. And at first he was resistant, but then he thanked me for doing it. And, um, and I told him I would pay for it. I said, I don't care uh, what the cost is. I wanna make sure that you're getting taken care of and whatever time you need you know, to spend with this. And, and he was so grateful. And he, he actually got on our podcast and said um, how grateful he was for that and how much it's helped him. And he continues to go through therapy. Get rid of the stigma because I feel like don't you feel, Amy, there's a big stigma out there like, oh, you see a therapist? <laughs> like, talk through that process and talk to the person listening to right, right now that's on the fence of getting therapy and why they should. Well, absolutely. First, I, I'm so glad you brought up this question because it's not as scary as people think it is. It doesn't mean that there's some fatal flaw inside of you. It's simply an opportunity to talk to somebody who has enough expertise to really help you through it. It's not an admission of weakness. It's not something that says that you ought to be in inpatient care. Um, it doesn't mean you're sick. Um, and it's also okay for everybody to interview their own therapist. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel comfortable with somebody, go with your gut because not every therapist is for every client. And it, what's ironic is free counseling actually has a lower attendance rate than if you have to pay a little bit. Mm -hmm. So if there's any way to have sort of a scholarship fund 
to, to help those folks who, who deal with some financial hardship. I've seen a lot of um, situations where others have gifted that to people and it's incredible because those people out of gratitude and appreciation really want to be a part of the process and to get well. Uh, to, I have a couple things for you. I know I'm going to have to have you back on the podcast because you have so much knowledge, uh, but uh, relationships, you talked about relationships and I, I have repeated, uh, I would say future professionals that continue to choose the wrong relationships. And, and you mentioned that you got into an abusive relationship. You ended up getting a divorce. Um, talk through that process um, so that someone can recognize that picking abusive relationships is not healthy. And, and I, I get these um, future professionals, they'll put it on uh, Facebook and social media, like all men are bad, <laughs> you know, right? And so talk through that process and how that's unhealthy behavior and it should be a, a sign of maybe some trauma that's undealt with as well. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting about our choices and relationships, Tina, and if you look at the work of Harville Hendricks and John Gottman, um, both of whom worked closely with their wives who are both stellar therapists, is that they found that we choose people who are actually gonna mimic what our childhood relationships were like. And they will mimic the wound that we encountered as a child or as a teenager. You know, and so it's sort of a replay of that whole scenario and what happens, and, and Dan Allender talks about this in his book um, on the wounded heart, is that we are in that hoping this person is going to do what I wish the other person did. They're going to turn around and apologize, or they're going to say, I'm such a monster for treating you that way. And so we get caught in this cycle of being addicted to, if I'll just give them one more chance, I'll just give them one more chance. Maybe this time they'll come around. I know they can't hate me this much. When is it going to end? When are they going to wake up? And um, friends of mine wrote a wonderful book about how couples wound each other mm. in exactly the way they were wounded as children. And so we tend to really feed off of that in one another. And then we're caught in these vicious, vicious cycles. And we don't know how to get out of it. And the way we get out of it involves a process of really understanding the wounds of the other person. But when you see somebody involved in something where they're being persistently hurt, you know, and there's just no resolution, there's no attempts by the other person to improve things, and there's clearly not love there. You know, it's really helping to, to, to let that person know, you know, not just, well, you can do better, but, you know, you are worth so much more, and that there is somebody out there who can love and cherish you. But until you are healed and work through it, yeah. you're not going to meet that person, that they aren't crazy for keep, you know, for continuing to go back. That doesn't make them insane. That means that they're trying to resolve something that they haven't worked through. 
Wow. So, so you have obviously been transformed through this process and I know you're transforming others through this process. Walk me through this. So uh, let's say you're talking to uh, yourself, you're talking to um, some of your clients that have continually to choose the wrong mates. And I love your quote, we choose people what our child relationships are like. That could be good news or bad news, <laughs> right? So walk me through that. How would you coach me on that, Amy, through that process? What seems like a really weird question, it's saying, what are you getting from this person? What are you getting from this relationship? What is it giving to you? And usually our first answer is, well, nothing. He's not doing anything for me, only bad things. Mm -hmm. But we're smart enough so that we aren't going to stay in a relationship if it's not giving us something. And so for me, it was giving me um, the sensation of being needed. Okay. It was, you know, giving me familiarity. It was also allowing me to stay distant because that's one way to avoid, avoid intimacy is to be in those unhealthy relationships. So I was safe. I didn't ever have to worry about really being vulnerable and intimate with somebody because they kept me at arm's length. And they kept me in pain. So when you hate yourself, you're glad to have somebody else put you in pain because that affirms what we believe. Mm. And so really understanding, you know, what is it that we're getting? Um, and being honest, even in the most abusive relationships. And it's not a, a question asked out of cruelty. It's really helping us to get wise to our own unhealthy patterns. Wow. Wow. Okay. So first of all, don't get into a relationship if you hate yourself. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing you too. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this and, and you hate yourself, well, how do you know if you hate yourself? How do you know? Well, I think part of it is that, you know, you can't stand to be alone Okay. You're constantly engaged in negative self-talk. Okay. So you're criticizing yourself all the time, even out loud. Oh, I'm so dumb. Or okay. I can never get anything right. Or I just fail at everything I try. Or that could never happen to me. You know, even really subtle ways that we keep that negativity going. You look at a happy couple and through your mind in a second flashes I'll never have that. You know, it's, it's exempting ourselves from a happy, normal experience. If you're doing that, that shows that you don't love yourself. You know, it's wow. eating yourself up, whether yeah. it's minor or a major um, mistake. You don't allow yourself to be human, and there's no grace. Oh, wow. Okay. I hear this a lot. So, and I, and I hear a lot of people say, well, that always happens to me. Go figure. Cause everything bad happens to me. Um, so walk us through that transformation again, is that when you should seek out therapy, a coach, what, what do you recommend for that? If you hear your voice saying these things, what do you do? If you, it'll depend on the severity of the other things you're dealing with. Cause a lot of coaches can help with that. Okay. You know, it doesn't have to be just, you don't have to go as deep as the trauma. It can simply be really changing what the messages are. And that might actually help a person feel like they want to go to therapy because they're worth it and they love themselves. 
Um, but the first thing is to really try to notice what you're thinking. Slow down the noise, slow down the speed. I used to say slow down the tape, but now we don't use, use yeah, tape no more anymore. Tape. <laughs> um, and, and write down those thoughts. Yeah. Put them on paper and then look at them and say, now, is that really true? And challenge it. I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm not going to let it decide to rule my life or let it decide to have um, the last say on my truth. I'm going to say the last of my truth. And I'm going to be the one to define that based on what I know God says about me, based on what I know the people who love and really like me say about me. Anything you can do to learn and get educated because the more you know, the less the lies are going to be able to have authority in your life. Ooh, the more you know, the less the lies have authority in your life. Now, that's a good quote right there, right? It's so true. The more you know, educate yourself. What are some movies that you recommend to watch? Oh, gosh. I knew you were going to ask this, and then they just, like, left my brain. I love movies. <laughs> I love movies, and I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, the cutest movie that really helps us understand our emotions and what the different functions are is Inside Out. It's a really adorable movie. Um, but there are some, obviously, some more serious ones that deal um, with abuse and deal with trauma and deal with victory over that. So being careful of what you watch, you know, I know I'm so, so, so careful of what goes into this mind, you know, and so uh, many times I'll have to walk out of the room. I'm like, you guys can watch this show, but I'm not watching it. I'm going to make that true. I'm going to read my book and my family just laughs at me. They're like, oh my gosh. But, but talk through that process too. Like what you put into your mind is eventually going to come out. So be careful what you put into your mind. What that you is so true, Tina, and you're such a great example of that. And I have been really rigid about filtering out any negativity. I mean, it can happen in the most subtle ways. Yeah. So watching violence, watching relationships depicted on TV where one person is really demeaned and immoralized, what you're listening to, it may seem just totally innocent, but if it's negative, if it's bringing you down, it's, it's not good for you. And we have a finite amount of time on this earth and energy and ability to take in, but it will absorb all of that. It's sort of like sugar for our, our psyche, yeah. you know, that it causes that inflammation and toxicity and we just don't need any more of it. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So instead of watching what you think is your favorite TV show, get online and every single week for 2019, Amy, myself, and our business partner, Barbara, we do these online masterminds. We've been doing these for the past couple of years and oh my gosh, have we met some incredible people all across the country. <laughs> That's why I love doing it online because now we can meet people via Zoom. Uh, talk about our masterminds that we're going to do this year. You actually selected all of the books, uh, the authors that were studying the books, and uh, then we do some great coaching segments. Talk about the books that we're gonna be doing this year. 
Well, I have to say this is, it is one of the biggest honors to get to teach these and I love it. I literally end the call and just like Tina always tells us, you're going to end the call totally on top of the world and energized and we do no matter when we finish. So it's really an opportunity to connect with other people. You develop networks, you develop friendships in some cases, and you have people there who are totally focused on making sure you're encouraged, making sure you have support, making sure you go after whatever it is you're dreaming of, however big or small. But we also draw from the foremost experts in the field. Tina, you know that, I mean, John Maxwell, he was sort of our, our starting place and, and he is, I mean, he's timeless. He's, you know, unrivaled as far as I'm concerned. And the books this year are really about taking your life to the next level, saying, yeah. you know, you can have more. The first one is High Performance Habits by Brian Burchard, Brendan Burchard, and that is really extraordinary how every day the little things we do totally change the course of our life. And then Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis is really a woman's perspective on, you know what, you can do it. And you don't have to feel like a failure and you don't have to just be bogged down. And all of us have been through the messy stuff. So it really is inspirational. And then we end with Daring to Lead. Oh. And you, and, you and Barb are just such amazing, amazing leaders. And that really is about stepping in to the arena, as Brene Brown calls it. And, you know, it's, it's letting our voice be fully heard, be fully heard out there and not to live small anymore because you're a leader in your everyday life. You're the leader of you. And uh, it's just eight weeks. They're eight weeks with us online, and we're doing three of them a year. We take a break in between both of them. Our first one starts in March, and we'll put the link in the show notes. It's actually kind of like you buy two, get one free. So if you want to do the whole package, basically, right, you get a really great deal, or you can buy just one for 2019, but we highly recommend that you get all three because you can get a little bit of Tina, a little bit of Amy, and a little bit of Barbara every single week. <laughs> and sometimes a lot of us, and uh, they're, they're an amazing deal, and especially for people who aren't necessarily in need of intense therapy, it's still gonna help you get through and get to a healthier place in more than just the area that you think it's going to. Yes. It's gonna really affect your whole life and it's gonna be a safe place and you get hours of coaching. I think we added it up, it was like $5,000 worth of coaching. I know, being with us, and you're right, and it's so cool because it is a mastermind concept. So what I think is so cool, Amy, because I get so much out of every single one, is I'll hear from one of the people that are joining us talking about a challenge. And I'm like, whoa, wait, I have that challenge too. And then all of a sudden, that challenge is solved by each other. We all come up with solutions and we're encouraging each other and rah, rah, rah. It's like going to the gym, you know, and getting in shape, you know, but it's going to the gym for your mind intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. I think it really covers all of those areas because I'm an advocate of being balanced. And I know you are too, Amy. So as we close this call today, what's some really great pieces of advice that you want to give to everybody you want to leave with them on developing their own transformation? Because I believe 
the definition of leadership is transformed people, transform people. And I believe so many people out there, Amy, want to be leaders, but they can't because they themselves haven't been transformed. So nobody relates to them. And right. And so they have to go through their own transformational period so they can be transparent and vulnerable. I think it's to recognize, Tina, that you can have power over your past and you can get the best power from your past. It's not something that you have to run to. It's not something you have to dwell in, but it is going to fuel your future. And so it's about just embracing that within yourself, that nothing will be lost and that time will not be wasted. Wow. I can't add anything to that at all because that was perfectly said, Amy, as usual. I'm not surprised that this was amazing. I have to have you back another time because you have so much uh, information inside that beautiful brain of yours <laughs> that everybody needs to know. So what's the best way to get a hold of you, Amy? I know, is it your website? My website, my Facebook page. So if you go and we'll put the link to my name because it it's, looks long and complicated. Yes. It's really long and simple. AmyVanSlambrook.com Amy and then I'm on Facebook at Amy Van Slambrook, L-M-H-C. And you can find me on Facebook. I'm just starting to get onto Instagram. Um, and so I'm out there. I'd love, love, love to hear from you. I do a weekly blog that's short. Um, and, and my little love note, I call it, to everybody every week. And so I would just love to hear from you. And I'd love to be of help. Uh, thank you, Amy. I love you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.